You are listening to It's Midnight Somewhere with DJs Mistress McCutcheon and The Wasteland. It's midnight somewhere. It's midnight. So we're here today with Anthony Maiovi, who has many musical projects as well as label head of Giallo Disco. Why don't you give us a bit of a rundown of some of the things you do? Oh, no. Some. I don't think we have time <laughs> for all of it because you are pretty prolific in your um, creative output. How do I put this? How do I sum up 20 years of work? Um, I am a weirdo noise kid who somehow lucked his way into a career as a disco producer making fake Italian horror film soundtracks who then ended up making real horror film soundtracks whilst also still being involved in the noise industrial scene. How's that? That's fucking perfect. Oh. Um, <laughs> I, I love it. That's very succinct. So I guess our first question, because this is our first question to everybody uh, when we have them on, is uh, what have you been up to during the pandemic? Have you been more creative, less creative? Um, yeah, I, I definitely hunkered down and got on with work. Uh, I made, what did I finish? Well, I, yeah, I think we need to cycle back because up until the pandemic, I was working on a live project where I'd rescored the entirety of the 1974 Spanish zombie movie, The Living Dead at Manchester Morgue, with the view of performing it live. And then all that work disappeared. So I finished a bunch of things that I've been working on in general. I wrote a book which I'm trying to find a publisher for before I quit and then end up publishing it myself. Uh, what else? Yeah, I made a... I worked on a bunch of things, just keeping myself occupied. And then I watched the entirety of The X-Files again, like a normal person. Binge TV, yeah, that makes sense. If I may ask, Ashley, because you, you've been based in Berlin, and then when did you move to the States? What drew, um, drew you to the States, well, if I may ask? The... Um, the Berlin thing is not entirely accurate. I was living there, and then I moved to Spain for a while, and then I moved to the Netherlands for a while. And then I, then I ended up moving back to the UK for a little bit. And then, hang on, I feel like I'm getting ahead of myself. I left Berlin maybe like five years ago, um, longer than that even. I basically moved around uh, Europe for a little bit, just trying to find a, a home. But then I met my partner, and then we got married, and she's from she's from America, and we were both struggling in the Netherlands. So it became an an idea, especially with uh, the with the Brexit decision, kind of being very unclear of what my musical future in Europe would be like. We ended up moving moving me here to America. So as a as a former noise guy, what was your motivation for? Getting into the the sonic style of uh, giallo disco. I mean, I've been obsessed with Italian horror movies since I was a teenager. I was very lucky to be the eldest of three children and being able to stay up later than my siblings. And then I ended up just watching like bizarre Euro trash movies late on late night TV, and I and I became kind of obsessed with them. And it was also the point where I could go to a record shop and buy a lot of stuff pretty cheap. At the time, 
because nobody was interested in Italian horror soundtracks. And asking for a Goblin album was like, I don't know, the equivalent of asking for something very uncool. The, um, the people in the record shop would look down their noses at me. And, but um, I, but yeah, it was just a point of obsession with like horror movies in, in general. And then when I was touring with, um, when I was touring with my noise rock band, I kind of got really into disco, I guess, because it was the antithesis of what I was doing musically. And then I just started trying to make like pastiche it mm-hmm. just for my own amusement and for my friend's amusement. So are you more of a Bee Gees or an ABBA guy? Um, <laughs> Was- sorry, sorry. I'm, I have terrible <laughs> it's, humor. <laughs> it's pro- it's probably ABBA. <laughs> Though I, I mean, I have a very large record collection. I don't think I own any ABBA, and I don't think I own any Bee Gees either. Um, I was very. It was it was very specifically uh, Italo disco, which had been just starting to be rediscovered through IFM and the the Dutch scene and the Hague scene. And Patrick Cowley, which is Dark Entries release, reissue a bunch of his music because he's sadly no longer with us. And yeah, this was like 2005, 2006. I became really very obsessed with this music. So that'll bring us to our next question, which is in 2013, you did a soundtrack for a Neo Giallo short called Yellow, released by Death Waltz for Record Store Day. Um, how did this collaboration come about, and it, was that the inspiration for the label, or how did how did that all come together? No, so when so when myself and Johnny Bacchetti uh, Technicolor decided to try and do a label, we didn't have any money, so we decided to crowdfund it. And at the same time that we were crowdfunding the first release, yeah, at the same time that we were crowdfunding the same release. My friend Ryan, who was the director of Yellow, was crowdfunding the, his movie. And we were both in Berlin. And so I just wrote him an email and said, we should be friends. If you're trying to make a Jallo movie and I'm making fake Jallo soundtracks, clearly we are destined to be friends. And we still are. We speak almost every day, even though he's in Australia now. And then once the music, once, once the film came out, it ended up being kind of a festival hit. And then Spencer, who runs Death Waltz, saw it at Fright Fest. And, and then it just kind of rolled on from there. So it was really just like good timing. I mean, this was, I mean, I guess when it came out, it was just after Drive. Ooh, and, okay. and, but before the kind of, I guess, no, that's not true. There was Amea, the Belgian film, which is also kind of mining a similar uh, aesthetic, but they used found soundtracks. Like they, like, like sort of the way that Tarantino does, it's like picks bits of soundtracks from other movies and then puts them in another movie. Mm. And so it was just the right time for that movie to, to play to people. Like people were ready for it. Like it's very strange when I used to talk about Jalo movies, it was, it was very uncool to um, be into these movies, but it's, I don't know. At one point, it was very uncool to be into Tangerine Dream, so I don't know. I'm, I am not a harbinger of cool, but everything I like is now amazing. No, that's, that's pretty great. I mean, we are ostensibly a music podcast, but I think we talk about horror films almost as much. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> we're, we're kind of in the same vein. And that's why we wanted to have you on to talk about Giallo because music and 
and horror. That's what we do. Yeah, it felt like the perfect uh, the perfect marriage to to talk about these things and and to speak to you uh, for this specific episode. Because uh, the next question that I wanted to ask is, Giallo Disco is the label name, but as a genre, how do you describe what Giallo Disco is? I would just, I mean, we always said it was horror disco, named after this album by a Italian producer called Botine, which just seems like the perfect name for this kind of music. It's like sort of a tallow. It's sort of a John Carpenter film soundtrack. It's sort of a kind of evoking a kind of sense of like artisticness, I guess. It's not just like rough and ready, like some like techno can be, or even some like Italo can be. So I know, but I don't know. I see people talk about like Jallo style in their press releases now. So I guess people really liked the idea and people are, are, are running with it. So if, if people are having fun with the aesthetic, then I, I really have. If people want to call it Jallo Disco, then it's fu- it's fine with me. If that's my legacy. Yeah, there's. It's funny because you mentioned, oh well, I'm I'm not a harbinger of anything that's cool, but at the <laughs> same time, which, but at the same time, uh, it feels very much like Giallo film is having a bit of a, a comeback because now there's a new crop of films that are out and about that aren't even necessarily Italian made, but maybe French or, or Belgian. Yeah, I mean, I mean, even something like uh, like James Wan made a movie called Malignant that came out um, very recently around Halloween, uh, which is it's a super bizarre movie. And I tried to describe it to friends of mine. And I said, "Oh, you have to imagine if Lucio Fulci made a Marvel movie. This is the closest that we'll ever have to that." And then people generally just were like, "Oh, yes, this is exactly what you mean by that." Uh, I feel like the aesthetic of it. I think also at the same time, people got really into film soundtracks and started to realize that they were very uh, important to, to, to your movie because you can have, uh, you, it's good to have something that kind of lingers behind. And so it's a, some really talented people working in film scores today. Oh, yeah. So how do you and your label partner, Gianni Vercetti, make decisions for albums you want to release on the label? Um, oh, uh, hmm. <laughs> We have we have to agree, which is not which is because see Johnny and I have known each other for like over ten years, and we're we're like brothers, and like brothers, occasionally we fight, and we don't always see eye to eye, and so I think one of the reasons why we've slowed down in recent years is because we really haven't found something that excites us both in terms of uh, uh, of new music. I think also, I mean, this is no one's fault, so I don't want anyone anyone to get the wrong idea, but like post the success of Stranger Things, things changed quite a bit. And the demos we received kind of were very much in one style. And we're, we are very much op- wanting to be open to new music that excites us that still fits the aesthetic, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's funny because I, again, with uh, with the introduction of Stranger Things to the mainstream, it brought such a, a nostalgia back but yeah i could see how that could end up uh, becoming a lot of uh, regurgitating of the same more of the same of that because everybody's into this 80s flavor and that that synth yeah it's and it's kind of funny because when i think of jallos i think of like 60s and 70s music i think of um and then when i think of the the effect that that had on italo disco like when you have all these like 80s 
like one hit wonders making a tallow who were like rock guys who were just in the studio and just accidentally had a, made an Italo disco single. Or right. you had something like, I know, like Body Heat by Fucker Wolf 190, which where they were a band. And then the label said, no, Fred Ventura is your new singer and he's going to sing this song. And it's kind of this punk world meets pop world. And there's, there's tons of different influences running throughout everything. And I guess when I talk about 80s stuff, I mean, I'm already into... I guess when I think about 80s, I think more about EBM, and I think more about uh, like like the beginnings of house, beginnings of techno, electro. Mm-hmm. Whereas I feel kind of like the early Italo disco that I like, like up until 1983, 1984, is still very 70s. Like it's pre-MIDI, for example. So it's produced in a very old school way. But and that's me being a nerd. So <laughs> it's just... Uh, whereas... Stranger Things is very much produced in an old school way because they're hardware enthusiasts. Whereas I know most people can't afford like the studio of the guys from Survive. You know, I know I can. This is my job. <laughs> well, this next question might be a little bit nerdy, and and this also leads me back to thinking about your background as a as a noise musician because i know there there gets to be all these little micro genres of noise and and again my knowledge of noise i have to credit to one of my best friends who's a a noise musician and is involved in rhythmic noise i wanted to ask would you differentiate giallo disco from like horror wave i'm not sure what horror wave is okay um is it like like dark synths yeah, because I, I find that there, again, it gets a little funny when we talk about a certain genre and then all of a sudden it gets into these micro genres. So sure. I wanted to get your perspective on how you might define these things or or what those sonic stylings would be that would make this this one thing versus another thing. I mean, I guess it's, I mean, there's lots of like dark sense people who have like overtly horror aesthetics let's say, but it's uh, that kind of synth wave, which is almost metal, if if you know what I mean. Like, I don't want to throw anyone under the bus. Like, people can have fun with the music they like. I'd say specifically with, with Jello Disco, and I guess the Jello style, is that there's kind of this allusion to cinema and also this kind of, you want this sense of an old staircase and Studio 54 and you, it might be the kind of music that you might run into a coked up David Bowie. You know, that's, you're not going to do that when you're listening to um, Ghost or whatever. Uh, who's the other guy? Like Perturbator or something like that. Fair enough. Yeah, that's a great description. <laughs> Whereas if you're listening to uh, Unit Black Flight, it's highly likely that, oh no, there's Grace Jones. She's there. She's at the club. And now we have to save New York. <laughs> from a coked up David Bowie. From a coked up David Bowie. <laughs> well, if we're talking oh, about a coked up, oh, yeah, if we're talking about a coked up David Bowie now, that lends more to the horror, I think, these days. Uh, I mean, yeah. It's, um, <laughs> I call David. Put David. He, he won in the end, though, like, I guess. He got he out did. of it. He did. He got yeah. out of it, and he made some... He made some good, some really good work once he was once he was sorting himself out. Fair enough. 
as a musician, what it, what do you think? Now, I know you've been talking giallo mostly from the 70s, but it seems like we're getting this resurgence of the 80s influencing a lot of things. Um, sure. What do you think, as a musician, that has made the 80s so influ- influential to modern music and, and the growth of synthwave and the explosion of it in so many different directions? Well, I think this is like two different things. I think one thing is there's a generational thing, it's, and one, uh, one part of it is it's like people my age who grew up in the 80s, and now they're in a position where they can get $50 million for their movies. <laughs> Whereas like someone who was born in 1990 maybe would struggle to get 50 million to a hundred million dollars for a movie. And the other thing is that's exactly the same way I started. There was uh, all of a sudden you could make music on computers. Like when I was a teenager, I was recording music to tape. And then next thing you know, you could get a computer and then you get a CD from a friend and then you get like a cracked version of Logic and a cracked version of Native Instruments Pro 53. And then you have all these synthesizers and all this stuff. And then you have the internet and all this music that you never heard before just available to you like a library. And then you just go crazy. So it's, I don't know, like all the young people I meet, they're, I guess they're, they're not really into making uh, synthwave. They're like techno, but, uh, you know, they're listening to loads of hip hop, you know. Maybe that's just around here. Hey, I think it's it's a bit regional. There's a big synthwave push up here. Like, there's a. But whole... how old are how old are those people? Are they like twenty? I have no idea because, because... I feel like all the synthwave people are kind <laughs> of my age. I I honestly, from, from based on some of your comments, I think we're all in the same age bracket. Uh, <laughs> because well, yeah, I. Just... I remember that, rec- tape recording songs off the radio too. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like I want to listen to this later. I mean, I've been making records since my early twenties, but I was making like weird noise records, and uh, and now I'm in my early forties. And I, I guess when I meet someone who's in a similar genre, they are of a similar age. They might be like five years younger or five years older, but it's more or less it's this bracket. And I'm guessing that the reason why it kind of blew up as a genre is because around this age, I now have more disposable income than I had when I was in my 20s. No? Oh, absolutely. That it, It's a funny thing because, yeah, those of us of a certain vintage, uh, this is all a, a lot of nostalgia. And folks in their 40s who are behind making these movies or or shows or when you hear that song in a commercial that you grew up with, uh, to us, it's all it's nostalgia where someone today in their 20s, because I'll hear somebody who's listening to music that we're DJing and they're like they were born in 2001 and I will go, holy fuck. But <laughs> I have one of those moments. But uh, to them, this is all very retro. Yeah, and and what their ideas of the '80s are very different than those of us who actually uh, grew up in it and lived it. So yeah, I mean, this is also kind of my feeling that I think also one of the reasons why I gravitated towards Italo disco is because all this music existed while I was alive, but it was like finding an alternative reality because none of those records ever made it to the UK, like except Sabrina and maybe Tarzan Boy. But then there's all these like wonderful 
weird, super like beautiful, melancholic, strange records that just never made it to England. And you speak to someone in uh, Germany or in Italy or in Spain, they go, oh, I used to hear that on the radio when I was eating my breakfast cereal. And it's like, it's like, it's literally like a, a whole other world to me. And I think part of the reason why I ended up using the Mayovi name was like playing with this idea of this I'm going to make the past what I want it to be rather than what it actually was, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I feel like that's what a lot of young people are doing now when they talk about like retro styles. But um, I don't know how many 20 year olds are like in the synthwave collectors group, you know. I think it's a I think it's a mixed bag because I think definitely up here there's a, a mix of folks making music that is a throwback or that's sort of this uh, revival. And uh, some of it is some of us uh, older folks, or as, as I say, folks of a certain vintage who are big vinyl collectors and, and are, are seeking this stuff out. And it's, it's just wonderful to hear. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's like, if it, if it ticks the boxes of, of, of the music you like, then I think it's great. Um, like I'm a big fan of the, of, of days records out of Los Angeles. Yeah. And um, but the band I grew to that like gravitated towards the most was Choir Boy, which I guess sound '80s, but they don't sound like any '80s band I've ever heard of. I guess they're like a cross between like Sad Lovers and Giants and like bits of the Smiths, but it sounds very modern to my ears. You know, like I'm not entirely sure what their their influences are. And then you have something like uh, Ricky, who I think is great. But it's very, it's very retro. It exists in that kind of Italo disco world. Sure. So I, I like it just fine. But I'm like, I gravitate towards the thing, the new thing, you know, the thing that I hadn't heard before. I guess that's, that's my personal taste. I guess I get it when I'm looking for techno records also. It's like, I don't necessarily, I mean, I can buy a whole bunch of like new EBM records that are being made by modern producers. And I think it's great that people are having fun with the aesthetics and uh, the, the, the genre tropes. But like when I'm digging, I, I, I need something else, you know. I'm always looking for things I haven't heard for, like new ideas. But I realize that's also just me. No, I'm, I'm pretty much the same when I go searching for music. I, I, you know, my, my, my tagline as a DJ is I'm, I'm genre fluid. I, I bounce around even within a set. So uh, it's called, uh, I think it's called uh, in Europe, it's called Hague style. You know, after oh, yeah? the DJs from the Hague where you would play like, like rough distorted electro next to some next to ABBA next to like classic techno next to some prog rock stuff. It's like, yeah, mix, mixed up style. Yeah, I don't know if I go that extreme from ABBA to prog rock, but you know, uh, <laughs> they make it the same instrumentation. It's like it's, yeah, it's, I, might as I well mean, be the I, same song. <laughs> I have gone. I I did go from what was it, Parallax to the Pet Shop Boys to Ghost once, but uh, I guess that counts. Sure, it's um. I guess it's what what I'm always after is I I, I want something new. It's like I'm not. This is going to sound really bad. So I'll probably, no, I'll say it anyway. Go for like, it. Every so often, it's like people like people like to go to McDonald's, right? Because it's the same, and you know you're going to get what you wanted. You're going to get some food, and it's going to tick that little box. Like I don't, I don't want that. I want, I want a new box to be ticked, and that's just my personality and what I want. So 
I, I guess that's why I'm always starting new projects and I'm always going down different avenues because I'm always trying to follow my interests more than my commercial uh, interests because honestly, I probably could have just stayed making these like retro 80s like fake soundtrack things and done okay with it. But like, I don't know. By the time it was successful, I'd moved on, you know, that's what, what are you supposed to do? I, I That resonates a lot with us because I, I find that... Well, both of us have, have definitely found that there's like two s- styles of DJs. There are DJs that are going to play the same old, same old that you're going to hear all the time because they know that it's a guaranteed dance floor and people are going to be happy with it and they're going to dance and have a good time. And yeah, and maybe there's value just- to that because there's, because people people need to be entertained. You know, they need to just be able to forget it and have fun. You know, I Absolutely. It it scratches that itch or it ticks that box, as you said. And I mean, then there's the DJs who are tastemakers who are going to give you something maybe you haven't heard before, or maybe they're going to do something weird or, and yeah, I, my interests are in like, I want to hear something, something different. I want to hear something new. And, uh, and what can you show me that I haven't seen before or heard before that's, that's going to strike something within me? Yeah, and I think it's like, I mean, one is going to be more commercially successful than the other. I'll let the listeners decide which one. Uh, it should be obvious. Uh, but, uh, uh, our listeners but, uh, know where we fall on this spectrum, <laughs> because I have often said, if I have to pay to hear the fucking Sisters of Mercy again, I'm probably going to leave or, I don't know, hang myself in the bathroom. I'm know. genuinely surprised how well they've survived. Like, I mean... Shouldn't there should be like some kind of like agreement that's like we're not going to play any sisters for like five years, and then when after five years someone will just pepper a, a set with it, and everyone will go ah, pretty good. Yeah, yeah, I I agree with that because we've had our dance party night for about five years now, and I broke our sister's cherry by <laughs> but with with the with like a deeper cut, like I played uh what was it? I walk away. Yeah. And walk away. walk away and, uh, you know, not Lucretia, my reflection, not this corrosion, not like any of the standards, because I don't need to hear those in a club ever. I guess it's all the best. Like, I'm not an expert on DJing in any way, shape or form. I think if I hope that when people book me, they know that they're not going to get like a commercial club DJ who knows what they're doing. And I'm going to show up with a bunch of records that I like, and then I'm going to play them in an order that will entirely depend on my mood and if they're cool with that then it goes well but like honestly the best dj sets i've ever heard were like like late 70s like boogie funk disco that i'd never heard before because there's like thousands of these records that i haven't heard like it's such a vast genre and then i was just you know drinking a glass of wine and just listening to the music and going this is this is really nice music like just kind of enjoying someone's taste in music for a little bit yeah no again it's just kind of good to get out of your own head and hear what what somebody else has to offer and and being able to share like this this here's my taste and and yeah take it or leave it and and let's give this a whirl and see how this works out i mean this is also a question we're talking about the 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 concept of diversity i think people also they're so concentrated on the uh, identity politics of, of diversity that they forget about the, the the other aspects of it, which is just about having another 
opinion, another taste, another spice, another flavor, you know. It's like it's diversity is overwhelmingly a good thing and should be encouraged in every in every situation. I couldn't have said it better myself. That yeah. What I wanted to ask is uh even though we're talking about new and and what what gets us excited when it's new, would you consider scoring an older silent film that was in the public domain? What kind of spin do you do you think you could put on it if uh, if that would be something that would interest you? Uh, yes, but I already know that it's a lot of work. <laughs> so um, <laughs> I've had my experiences uh, rescoring films. Um, yeah, like I, I mean, I did the Texas Chainsaw Massacre with my friend. Matt Hill, aka Umberto, like back in 2014, and uh, we put a lot of work into that. And then Toby Hooper was not happy. Not my idea to annoy the director of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but somehow I did it. Uh, we did it. I shouldn't take all full responsibility. For that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I guess it it would entirely depend on the aesthetic. I did um. I did a rescore of Lucifer Rising, the Kenneth Anger movie, which was really fun to do um, because I made it very 70s prog rock, um, which worked very well with the, the visuals. But um, I don't know. It would have to be something very specific. I have friends and we talk about doing these things all the time. Like uh, Gianni Vecchetti and I talked about rescoring the Blair Witch Project, which is like, I still think it's a really good idea, but I have no idea how it will sound. Do you know what I mean? It's like yeah. once I have, if I have the idea in my head of like, oh, I know exactly how this is going to sound, then it's easier. It's easy to do. And then Matt Umberto and I were talking about doing extra at one point, rescoring the whole entirety of extra, uh, which would be fun. Well, it's kind of like, I don't know if you've ever seen uh, someone on YouTube had re-edited uh, movie trailers and then made them into comedies. Uh, Have you seen this? Somebody did it with uh, The Shining, where they... Oh, yeah, The Chickening. Was that that one? Or there was it, the, the uh, Shining, and then the other one was uh, oh, Psycho, yes, no. where they re they recut it to make it look like a rom-com and change the soundtrack and everything. And and yeah, it, it'd be really interesting to see what you do with something like uh, The Blair Witch Project, because it feels so sparse and because it's a found footage film. Yeah, I mean, there's no soundtrack to it anyway. I think that's kind of where the idea came from. Of like, there's no. It, it was the exact same reason why Matt and I chose Texas Chainsaw Massacre because there's no real score to it. Like, it's all sound design and atmosphere. And so we were thinking, this is like it would be a perfect just for as a performance piece. We didn't, you know, we wouldn't arrogantly think, oh, this will be the definitive new score for the text for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, right? Like with. Like incredibly arrogant humans um this is just like we love texas chainsaw massacre we want like this is this we want to do like tribute and like have fun with with this thing that we like um but yeah i i thought about like trying to work on something similar but i i mean the living dead at manchester morgue rescore took me nine months and then the pandemic hit and then all those gigs have not come back so i'm kind of i kind of know how long it takes to do right something like this Fair enough. So, <laughs> all right. So, as a musician that works in a vari variety of styles and genres, what is your process like? Do you have multiple projects on the go at one time? Or are you dedicated to one project until it's finished? Um, I sketch a lot. 
for example, I over the summer I was working on a new Ye Gods record, and most of it was done as little sketches. I think I came up with twenty or thirty little ideas, and then I was just having fun with them, and then I managed to finish ten of them to the point where I think they were good. Very nice, and I'm very happy to hear that you're working on another Ye Gods album because. The last one was. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, both we were, of us, both of us, just did a fist pump in the air when you said that. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I'm like, I was very. It took a while because I didn't really know what I wanted to to do with it, but um, I think I kind of over sketched. I think and then I had too many ideas, but actually, by the time I was, this is easier to d- d- define. What I do is I sketch a lot. And then when I think I have enough sketches, I try to finish them. And then when I finish the tracks, then I can make further cuts and go, this isn't a very good idea. I don't know what I was thinking here. Who are you, Tony? Who do you think you are? Get rid of this. Delete it. Throw your computer out the window. And then by the end, I'll normally have something. And then I'll walk away from it and I go, I don't think I can work on this anymore. And then I start on the next batch of sketches, which at the moment are the next... Not the next Jason Priest record, because that's finished, but the one after that. And I think I had about, I don't know, maybe 12, 15 sketches for songs. And then and then I've managed to whittle it down to nine. Which which that was also a fantastic album. Both of those albums, by the way, we we previously featured on the podcast. And when you said you had a new Jason Priest album done, we both kind of did little chair dances. So, Yes, the next <laughs> one is done. Um, it's just... The process of releasing a record now is like insanely long. So I kind of feel like I can take my time on the the next one. Fair enough. Like, uh, I feel like there's no, like, if I go, I mean, part of the reason why Is Missing got released at the beginning of the pandemic was like, I, I just needed something to put something out because I didn't know what was going to happen. And I was trapped and all my work had gone and I needed money. And it, I'm very grateful for Adam for wanting to do a proper edition of it. Uh, but it was it was very much like I go to my friend's house, I mix this as best I can, and then I put it out because I need money now. Like, and you know, everyone. I, th- I feel like a lot of artists are in the same boat where we didn't really know exactly what was gonna what was gonna happen, exactly uh, how long this would go on for, and then. Thankfully, when Adam was interested in it, it gave me more time to like go and really focus in on details and scrub it. Whereas now I can take my time over this at all. Like, I think it took me, I don't know, to get a good pre-master, it was maybe two weeks of just working on the same song, which is a luxury I've not really had before. Like I said, we both loved both those albums, so uh, we're very happy to hear about well, that. Well, the ongoing story of Jason <laughs> Priest is... Uh, is uh, uh, ongoing is, 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 no well hopefully i my plan was to release the album with um with with the autobiography <laughs> of jason priest which uh, i've sketched out and i still need to write up oh so that's with, not the book you referred to earlier no no the book i wrote was um a really disgusting horror novel about cannibals in berlin i was trying Perfect. to write out a really like tawdry like british horror novel that's kind of like Maybe a little bit badly written, but then it makes you go, but also very cold. That was totally going to be my next question because I wanted to ask about what the book was. Oh, the book. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Let's talk about the book. I don't know what what I'm doing with books. Like, 
I feel like the publishing industry is like worse than the music industry in terms of like they must get people must get bombarded and then you need to get an agent and I don't know how much patience I have for the whole thing but uh, I, I don't know I'm waiting to hear back from one publisher and if they say no then I'll just release it myself and put it on my band camp and then I'll do an audio book of, of me reading it oh that could be fun yeah it's like we pretty easy right like I have microphones yeah, no. Uh, well, that and I mean, to have the luxury of, you know, you create this this piece. And I mean, we're, we're in a period where sure, you can you can self publish if you can't find the right publisher, but then being able to do an audiobook and, and kind of tie it in with your work in, in creating this sort of horror based horror themed music could be really interesting. Yeah. And I, the other thing was that I'm like halfway through the second draft of the next novel. So uh, at some point, I'm going to have to just put it out because I'll be done with the next one, and it will be embarrassing to have all these novels. To t- and I mean, they might also be awful. I'm, I'm willing to entertain the concept that I am a bad writer, but they've been fun to do. Yeah, there's definitely. I, I think there's a value in just creating for the sake of the creation and just get it out into the world and see where it goes. I mean, it's funny earlier. Before we started recording, uh, we were setting things up and uh, and listening to uh, a song with this with a um, sampling from the soundtrack of uh, Friday the Thirteenth, the very first one. And I was laughing about how the the lead actress, the the mother, how she did the film because she didn't think anybody was going to see it, and she did it because she <laughs> wanted a new car. Yeah. She just wanted a new car and and figured, okay, well, if I do this job and uh, act in this silly movie that is probably going to go nowhere. She didn't call it a silly movie. She said, nobody's going to see this piece of shit. Valid. And it cost 10 grand for a brand new Mercedes, and it was uh, Betsy Palmer. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. I was blanking on the name. I was like, I know you did. I'm sitting here like, "Mm." (laughs) try not to interrupt. I think this is this is also something maybe for people like who are just starting out making music or just starting out in their careers. It's like it's really easy to fall into the trap that you're basically just screaming into the void. Like I was making records for for years before I realized that anyone was actually listening to any of them. And people were coming to the shows and go and wanted to talk to me like, what did you mean when you went in in this song? What did you do by this? Like, what is this? Like, what does this mean? I'm like, what do you actually listen to? It's like, yeah, I bought it and I listened to it. I'm like, you're an insane person. Um, <laughs> Why I'm would grateful. you do that? I'm grateful, of course. <laughs> um, but it's 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 still shocking because like I don't I don't get the daily feedback of like people who are listening. Like I don't consider likes and shares or hearts on Instagram to be proper interactions with my music. Maybe they are, maybe people do click on the links and, and go check stuff out. But um, I don't concede that the way that social media works is I don't necessarily consider that a true interaction. Like the true interaction is someone coming up to me and said, I bought your record. I do like it. And I go, that's nice. Thank you. <laughs> or if they go, I bought, I bought your record and I don't like it. I go, I'm sorry. I'll try better. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll do better. I promise. <laughs> so I guess that's going to bring us to our final question with it, which is, um, what do you have on deck for 2022? Mm. Like, what, what's coming up if you want to plug anything? Well, 
The problem with plugging things is everything is subject to change, as well we know. Um, I have a radio show on WNHU, uh, 88.7 FM. Uh, I'm doing a show on Tuesdays called Noibody, which is part of a collective that I'm part of here in New Haven. Techno-focused electronic music parties. uh, That will be continuing into the new year. There's a possibility of uh, some, let's say... High-profile touring in the in the offing, um, but I can't confirm it yet because I haven't had the all clear from the from the agency. End of January, I'm doing my first Yay God show in Los Angeles. Um, I have a bunch of other Yay God shows, but I can't confirm them yet. I guess it's the same life I've had for the last ten years. It's like I'm going to be working on music. And I'm going to be releasing records as long as there's an audience for it. So if people stop buying things, then I'll stop. I'll stop making them, and then I'll concentrate on the things that are. Then you could go do your writing career. Well, it's, it's <laughs> like I have hours and hours of guitar drones that um, I know has no commercial value, but I appreciate the fact that people buy my records, and that buys me the time to do weird little experiments. And especially when it comes to film score work where being highly experimental and having time to really have a lot of strings to your bow is 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 beneficial then i it's you need time and this is the one thing that you can't buy right so you either go well i guess i'm not gonna have a luxury car i'm not gonna live in a giant house but that buys me time and if I make, if I concentrate on the music that people want to buy and consume or pay me to perform, then I have extra time to do the things that um, I also want to do. I'm very lucky to have managed to make a career out of following my interests. Most people don't. Most, some people have to play in Radiohead. <laughs> 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 wow. <laughs> oh, I'm going to get yelled at by our producer for that. <laughs> that that I, can, I can say that as a Brit. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But you so know what I, I mean? Like some people have to play in catfish and the bottle men. Right. And like no one deserves that. <sighs> yeah. You should just make weird techno records and live on the breadline. It's fine. <laughs> All right. I think that's going to about wrap us up for tonight. Yeah. Thank you so much. For no, you're welcome. It was really fun. Yeah. yeah no, this is a lovely conversation. Um, yeah, I hope I can make it up to Toronto soon. I'm friends with Haley Mecca Maiko, and we've been talking about doing stuff for, for so many years. And I think, but the border is open now, yes? Yes. The border's open. Hopefully, there are just still venues to play in oh, and yeah. to do things because that's that's been a big challenge. And that wraps it up for this episode. Do tune in on Twitch on Friday nights. We're at twitch.tv slash prophecy underscore online. You can catch us there for either The Wasteland or me doing a stream or sometimes together at 10 p.m. Toronto time. We have buttons. We have stickers. Go to morbidoutlook.com slash sticker or morbidoutlook.com slash button to pick up some of our swag. Otherwise, that's about it. Thanks for listening. Until next time.
This podcast was almost called a Don't DJ with my dick. <laughs>